8 of your bulletin. We see our passage for the afternoon. As you're turning there, I wonder um, what is one thing in your life right now that you really want God to do, but that just seems impossible. There's one thing in your life right now that you want God to do, but it just seems impossible. Uh, Maybe you're parenting young children right now, and more than anything in the world right now, you just want your kids to sleep through the night without interrupting you. So you can just get one full night's rest. Um, Or maybe you can just have like a little bit of independence from like the constant... Uh, demands of parenting. That's like the one thing you'd ask for right now. Um, Maybe you're dealing with chronic pain and you would give anything to have that pain taken away or some ongoing health issue that is maybe not a lot of people know about, but you are just always thinking about it and dealing with it. Um, Maybe you long to have freedom from an addiction and you've tried and tried, but you just feel enslaved to that addiction and you would give anything to be free from it. Maybe there's a broken relationship in your life with family or friends that you really want to see that relationship restored. Uh, maybe it's financial. Maybe you just want to have enough money to where you don't have to worry about groceries next week or you don't have to worry about making it to the end of the month. Uh, kids, I wonder what would it be for you? Um, what's one thing that seems impossible that you really want God to do in your life? Um, I asked my kids this question this week. Uh, two out of the three said that they wished that math would suddenly become easy for them. Um, and the third didn't understand the question. Um, during this time leading up to Christmas, we're, we're asking this question, why do we need Christmas? Um, that is, why did we need Jesus, the eternal Son of God, to come and take on flesh and dwell among us, live life among us? Um, and our text today is going to shed more light on that. And I just want to say up front, uh, with our passage today, we're going to hear um, two different stories and references to um, conceiving children and pregnancy in very unexpected circumstances. Um, And so there may be those here who have in the past or are currently navigating struggles with infertility. And I'm just aware that even something like this uh, could just be a lot to hear. So I just want you to be aware that we're talking about issues like that this afternoon. And I also want you to know that if that's where you're at, I want you to know that you're not alone in that. And there are um, folks here who have navigated things similar before that would be honored to sit and talk with you and and listen as you go through that. Um, But difficulties with conception and pregnancy are a result of the fracture and brokenness that sin has caused in our world. And it's actually into that very context that God does something miraculous in our passage. Um, We looked at a few verses from this passage very briefly last week. We're going to focus on the whole passage this week. This is Luke chapter 1, starting verse 26. So we're at the beginning of Luke's gospel. Um, The angel Gabriel had just told Zechariah and Elizabeth that um, after uh, both being barren and older than uh, typical childbearing years, Elizabeth would in fact conceive and give birth to John the Baptist. That was in the passage just before ours. And now the angel Gabriel visits Mary in our passage. And that's where it picks up, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. 
And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is a sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word. God, thank you that you have chosen to speak to us. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and help us to hear you now. Would you transform our lives as we consider your living and active word together? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, All right, so there's a a documentary out on Netflix right now called The Alpinist um, about an alpine climber. And it profiles um, a man who was considered... Uh, the best climber that you have never heard of. Uh, it profiles a guy named Mark uh, Mark Andre Leclerc of British Columbia. Leclerc uh, specialized in what's called solo ice climbing. Um, imagine um, like a, a picture of like the beautiful like Swiss Alps or something, snow covered, ice covered, and then imagine climbing those mountains um, by yourself, without a rope, and with no communication device. So it's literally just you, your boots, uh, pickaxes, hanging on for dear life, climbing up the side of a mountain. That's what he does. Um, You might not have heard of him, but you maybe have heard of a guy named Alex Honnold. He was featured in the movie Free Solo, which was really popular a couple years ago. Um, Alex Honnold has become like a climbing celebrity that's like on the red carpet and like he's kind of a known name now. But he said that he had barely heard of this guy, LeClaire. When suddenly Leclerc started climbing his routes and beating him. He was climbing faster than Alex Honnold was. All right, I don't really know anything about the sport of solo ice climbing. But based on this documentary and based on what I read online, Leclerc was like next level good at climbing. Um, And he could have used his skill to get all of the sponsorships and fame and spotlight. He could have been on the red carpet. He was certainly good enough. But he just loved climbing. He loved the purity of the sport. And so he intentionally avoided the spotlight. And he will forever be known as the greatest climber that no one has heard of. All right, our passage is about the eternal Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah King entering into the world that He created and taking on human flesh and doing so completely under the radar, Uh, born into an incredibly humble and culturally unknown family and town. 
Um, This is an account of something unbelievably great happening uh, in a totally understated way. And it's a conversation in our passage between the angel Gabriel and Mary. And so let's look at it through the lens of both. So first is Gabriel and then Mary. First, let's talk about Gabriel. How does Gabriel show up? What's the scene in our passage? Look at verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. All right, so the sixth month that it refers to there, this is referring to the passage just above ours, specifically Elizabeth's sixth month of pregnancy with a child who would become John the Baptist. At this time, the sixth month of her pregnancy, God sends Gabriel, who was a real angel, a real angel, to the town of Nazareth. All right, it says city in our passage. A more accurate description would be town or village. Uh, Primarily, it was used for like agriculture and farming. Um, Verse 27, it says that the angel was sent to this place, this humble town, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. All right, so God sends... Gabriel, to a specific woman in this small town, to Mary. And it says that Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Okay, uh, what does that mean, betrothed? Think about our concept of engagement. Um, It's a much more formal version of that, uh, where it was legally blinding to where to get out of uh, an engagement, you can end it. It's still a really big deal, but it's not legally binding for us. For them, it was. So it would have been like a divorce to get out of this betrothal. So a a very uh, significant legal binding between Mary and Joseph in verse 27. And it says that they are of the house of David, uh, meaning that King David from the Old Testament, that they are of his line. Um, King David wrote a lot of the Psalms. And he was the one whom God had promised to keep someone from his family on the throne forever. And so Mary and Joseph are of this family. Verse 28 Gabriel greets Mary, and it says that she was troubled. All right, we're going to look at her response in a moment. But that's the initial scene. That's the context. That's how Gabriel shows up. What does he tell her? What is Gabriel's message? Um, Have you ever um, had someone call you or just show up, and they're really frantic, and, and you can tell, like, you weren't expecting to see them, and suddenly they're like, okay, first off, everything's fine. Everything's going to be fine, but you're like, wait, wait, no, that's not, that's not fine. What do you mean everything's going to be fine? It's, it's in, instantly rattling when someone shows up and starts a conversation that way. That's almost how Gabriel begins this conversation with Mary. He shows up. She's troubled. This angel is speaking to her. And what does he say? Verse 30. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So he's saying, don't be afraid. Everything's fine. It's all going to be okay. Um, he knows this could, what he's about to say is going to be just potentially alarming. He says, God's favor is actually on you, Mary. Okay, that means I'm not an angel of wrath showing up right now. But actually, this is an angel coming with God's favor to share something with you. And what does Gabriel say? He says, okay, so everything's fine, but you're going to have a baby. And this baby is the long-awaited Messiah King, the very hope of Israel. Um, All right, so first, he says, you're having a baby. All right, so he's speaking to Mary. Uh, Mary, you who are not yet married, you who are a virgin, you are going to conceive a child. All right, so that alone, in the cultural context of our passage, 
it would have likely meant that Mary would have instantly been marginalized, um, left to care for this child on her own. Uh, to, in this context, this would be a difficult situation in, in any context. In this context, to be a poor, unmarried woman expecting a child would have come with great social cost. And we'll talk more about that. But that's the claim that Gabriel just drops in and makes. Hey, you're about to have a baby. And that's going to mean a lot for you. He says you're going to name him Jesus. A name that ultimately means salvation. So even just hearing that right off the bat, these few verses would have sent off alarm bells for the Jewish people. Um, This is Isaiah language. Isaiah 7.14. On a lot of Christmas cards this time of year. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. All right, so Gabriel is telling her, Mary, you're having a baby. And not only that, but this baby is the long-awaited Messiah King. Look at verse 32 in our text. Verse 32, it says, He'll be great. He'll be the Son of the Most High God. Uh, This phrase, the Most High God, actually echoes all the way back from the first book of the Bible, Genesis. In Genesis 14, there's this priest and this King Melchizedek that refers to, to Yahweh, to God, as the Most High God. And then that name picks up there. It's continually used throughout the Psalms in the Old Testament. And so by using this name for Mary's baby, Gabriel is telling her that she's going to give birth to a baby that is both fully human and fully God. He's really a human baby. And he really is the son of the Most High God. He's really God. And he holds these two natures perfectly without any sin whatsoever. That's who this child will be. And he doesn't stop there. The end of verse 32 and of verse 33, Gabriel tells her that God will give this child the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. We looked at 2 Samuel chapter 7 very briefly last week. You can put that in your notes. Look at it later this week. That's where God makes a promise, a covenant with David, where he promised, hey, David, someone from your family is always going to be on the throne from here on out. I promise. All right, this is the fulfillment of that promise. As you read through your Bible in the Old Testament, it is full of promises. Do you know that all those promises find their fulfillment in Jesus in the New Testament? This is an example of that happening that God promised all those generations ago that he would do this. He would keep a king on his throne forever. And this is God doing it, making good on his word. So this supernatural, unexpected encounter, the angel Gabriel is telling Mary that she's going to give birth to the long-awaited Savior King. All right, pause. What does that mean for us right now sitting in this room? It means that Jesus really is king right now. Jesus really is king right now. He is watching over us and reigning as king today, in this moment. Uh, The confession of faith that we recited together uh, this afternoon was from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It's a jumble of words. That's a question and answer summary of, of theological beliefs from the Bible. And there's another part in that catechism that asks what it means that Jesus is king. Listen to the response to that. Here's what it means that Jesus is king. 
It says that He subdues us to Himself. He rules over us, defends us, restrains and conquers all of His and our enemies. Okay, what is that saying? That's saying that Jesus is King over us and Jesus is King for us. All right, Jesus, and this is really key to understand in having a relationship with Jesus. Really important to understand this. He's king over, uh, over us. It says that he subdues us and rules us. So Jesus establishes a relationship with us where he is in charge. And we yield ourselves to him. There's this very clear line of authority in a relationship with Jesus where he is the authority and we are the followers. Where he is king and we yield to him. Um, he's king over us. He's king for us, though, too. What does it say? The answer, it says that he defends us. He restrains and conquers all his and our enemies. Um, When my kids go to bed at night, there are two things I want them to know about Jesus. That he loves them perfectly with a gentle, tender love. And that he is a mighty king that fights for them while they sleep. I want them to know those two things. And the scriptures actually say that if we entrust ourselves to Jesus, that we are now in Christ, that we're actually hidden in Jesus. If you're a believer, you're hidden in Jesus. Is there anything better than being hidden in one who loves you with a love that is perfectly tender and gentle and also hidden in one who fights for you and defeats all of your enemies like a mighty king? That's what Jesus does. Um, I've shared before my experience of getting picked on and bullied uh, as a sixth grader uh, back in the day. Um, there were two people I remember that distinctly helped me um, during that time at school. One of them was my sixth grade science teacher, Miss Lawfer. Miss um, Lawfer was one of the kindest, warmest, most easy to be with teachers that I that I remember. And yet, you did not mess with Miss Lawfer. Um, I can remember one time where this kid was picking on me and she saw it happening right outside her room. And she goes out there and she grabs me and she pulls me into the room, shuts the door. She says, Jonathan, what do you want me to do to this kid? In school suspension, out of school suspension, you name it, I'm going to do it. And I had no doubt that she was going to do it. I mean, she was about to bring the hammer down on this kid for what she just witnessed happening. Um, She was the embodiment of this tender care and gentleness and might. You did not mess with her. Um, I want you to think about whatever's keeping you up at night right now. Life can be really hard. Uh, Life can be really unpredictable and really scary. And sometimes those things wake us up at 3 a.m. and our minds start racing and we can't get back to sleep. What's that thing for you? Uh, Do you see that we can actually sleep at night because of who Jesus is? Because He is perfectly tender and gentle and loving? And He is the mighty King who fights for us and defeats all of His and our enemies. That's who He is. Listen to how Carrie Christina Reeves expresses this in a prayer that she wrote. She says, If you remember me, Jesus, what should I fear? If you are on my side... No enemy can overtake me. Protect me from the snares of evil and darts of Satan. Shield me with your mighty power and grace. Enfold me in your love. 
That's the prayer. And that's the message that angel Gabriel brings to Mary in our text. How does she respond? Let's talk about Mary. It's really interesting, and you may have noticed this, the way that Luke records Mary's response to the angel and to the news that he brought. Her response actually seemed to change or evolve a little bit over the course of the passage, and commentators all make note of this. And so I'm going to highlight just sort of her three responses that we see here. The first response was that she was troubled. Mary was troubled. Look at verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. All right, why was she troubled? It's hard to know for sure. I don't know. It could just be the shock that an angel appeared and is speaking to her. That's, that's pretty troubling. Um, being told she's favored by God, not knowing what he's about to say. We're not totally sure, but there's something about being confronted in this way with this message that was troubling to her. And that's actually a very fair response to an angel showing up and bringing news, even good news. Um, all right, if you're here and you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, one who believes and is trying to live accordingly, uh, do you remember the first time that you felt the Holy Spirit uh, press in on you? Do you remember that time uh, where it felt like something from outside of you was pressing in on you? If you have a bulletin, I want you to turn to it just inside the front cover in that bulletin. You'll see a couple quotes. And there's a quote... Uh, from a pastor named Tim Keller about this very thing happening. I wonder if you can relate to this. He says, One of the marks of real Christian faith, then, is a sense that there is some kind of power outside of you putting its finger on you, coming to you, and dealing with you. I wonder if you can remember a time like that. That's a very troubling thing to think about. Um, But where does it lead, Mary? Um, It says that she then, in verse 29, tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So this is the idea of like, she's using reason and to to begin investigating what's going on here. I need to ask some questions. I need to get critical and examine this. So being troubled leads her to a place of honest questions. So her second response is curiosity. Look at verse 34. Her curiosity shows itself with this question. How will this be since I am a virgin? That's a great practical question in light of what was just told to her. Um, we can't perfectly put, our shoe, put ourselves in the shoes of Mary here. But she's just been surprised by the angel Gabriel, told she was going to conceive and give birth to the Messiah King. And she responds to this life-changing supernatural news with curiosity, with a logistical question. Hey, how's this going to happen exactly? Um. There's actually, a, this is sort of a theme that we see in the New Testament. Um, when we were going through the book of Acts in our previous series, we saw this in Acts chapter 17. After Paul preaches to people who had not heard the good news of Jesus, there were three responses, right? There were some who mocked him, who made fun of him, saying he was crazy for saying that Jesus rose from the grave. And that second category was what? Those who asked questions. Those who were curious. And then the third category was those who believed. Uh, there is curiosity from Mary as she processes this news. And so I would say to you, if you're here this afternoon and you're curious about what it means to follow Jesus in a community like this, please know that curiosity and questions, not having it all figured out, that's not only okay, but that's actually a very biblical pattern of coming to understand 
what is presented to us in the scriptures. So with your questions, with your curiosity, with not having it all figured out yet, you are welcome here. And we're really glad that you're here exploring. Uh, We are very much a community of people who are in process in about every way imaginable. And that's what's happening with Mary here. She's processing this good news with curiosity. She's investigating, asking questions. Where does the curiosity lead? Her final response is surrender. It leads to surrender. Um, What ultimately leads to her surrender? Look at verse 35. So Gabriel explains to her in as much detail as we get about how this will happen. He says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is a sixth month with her who was called barren. So the angel answers Mary's curiosity about how all this would go down by giving her this direct, shocking, supernatural answer. The Holy Spirit, the power of the Most High God is going to overshadow you. And this holy child will be the son of God. And you're actually really going to give birth to him. It's going to be a real child. It's going to give birth to him. Oh, and by the way, you may not know this yet, but your relative Elizabeth is also miraculously expecting a child who will be the, the prophetic voice in leading the way for the Messiah King. All right, if we step back, what is Gabriel describing? Verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. He is describing God doing the impossible. He does not qualify it. He does not soften it. He gives her this straight, supernatural promise. Mary, all this is happening. Guess what? God does impossible things. And at this good news, she surrenders. Verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She's saying, God... I'm yours. However it's going to go, that's great with me. I trust you. I give it all to you. What might be at stake for Mary? Matthew's account, in Matthew 1.19, it might be divorce. Joseph actually begins to think that through. To divorce her quietly so that she might avoid the public shame that would come with her pregnancy. Might mean marginalization. There might actually be some punishment for her being pregnant out of wedlock. Uh, It might just be the unknowns of like, I don't know, what's this going to be like? How is this all going to work? What's it going to be like to raise this infant, this toddler, Jesus, who's also the Messiah King? All kinds of unknowns at stake for Mary, yet she surrenders herself completely to the Lord. Have you surrendered your life to the Lord? That may feel like a really churchy answer that you would expect to hear while attending a church that meets in a hotel ballroom. <laughs> um, but this, porch, this, this passage forces us to wrestle with that question. Um, if you're here this afternoon and you're someone who does not, would not consider yourself a believer, maybe you're just like dipping a toe in the water, or you're here with a friend, you're not all in on this stuff, um, I'm going to follow the angel Gabriel's lead and invite you to surrender your life to Jesus today. That's a real option where you have an invitation in the midst of this uh, shocking, 
supernatural good news that Jesus came for you because He loves you and you can actually surrender everything to Him right now. You could pray with Mary, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I wonder if that's where you're at this afternoon. Or maybe you're here and you already believe. You're, you're in, you're tracking that this is where you're at. But if you step back and look at the whole picture of your life, um, maybe there's like a distinct area that you're holding back from God. You know, as we grow in our faith, it's almost like it's a house with the lights off when we come to faith in Christ and God begins to turn lights on. And there's like these whole areas of our lives where we feel suddenly convicted for not giving it to Him or living in some pattern of disobedience against Him. And maybe God's doing that in your life right now. We're going room by room and turning lights on in dark rooms. I wonder if there's a room that you're trying to like lock the door and not let Him into. If there's a space where you are just not letting Him go there, where you will not surrender it to Him. Maybe it's something like control. Where you just you know how you want things to go. If they go your way, things are fine. If they don't go your way, you're not okay. Control is the thing. Do you know that Jesus actually invites you to surrender that sense of control to Him? And surrender the anxiety and anger that comes from not having control. He invites you to surrender that part of your life. Maybe it's fear of being known. Um, Maybe for you to be alone is to be safe. And to be with people in community is risky. Because they might get to know the real you and they might reject you. And so you just don't do that. So you isolate. Jesus invites you to surrender that isolation and to trust Him and to follow Him into a shared life of community with other people. Uh, Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's related to money or sexuality or friend group at school or future plans or your job right now. Um, some area of your life where you just you want to keep that door locked. You don't want God to mess with it because it feels too precious to you. Um, whatever it is, there is an invitation this afternoon to surrender all of it to Jesus. And He is a King who is trustworthy to surrender everything to. And we need to look no further than the cross of this King to know just how trustworthy He is. Um, the cross was actually where the most impossible thing of all happened. It's where Jesus, the perfect king who did not sin, went to pay the penalty for all those who did sin and wanted nothing to do with him. That's the most impossible thing of all. And it answers our question for us. Why do we need Christmas? Because we need to see that God loves to do the impossible. He loved to do the impossible by bringing His Son Jesus in the form of a baby. And He loved to do the impossible by sending Him to the cross so that you might be reunited with your Father, which is what you were made for. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this good news. Thank You that um, while we so desperately need Christmas, uh, You provided so much more than we could have imagined in a way that is unfathomable, where we see the greatness of the long-awaited Messiah King being born in the most understated, humble, unknown way uh, to this um, betrothed Virgin Mary in this um, farming village of Nazareth.
Uh, Father, we would not have written the story this way, but this story has become our salvation. And so we thank you and praise you for it.